So praise God. Great to see you guys. Got your notes. Got your Bibles. Look at the top there. King's people. I'm calling this School of Wisdom because that was part of the vision uh, to begin with. So everything we do in terms of instruction for the folks that are part of uh, what we're doing and even not, I'm just calling it School of Wisdom. I feel like that's something the Lord gave us. We can talk more about that down the road. But this first session is orientation. So orientations are always boring, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I'm going to bore you and you're not going to like it. I'm just joking. Uh, I think it will be good orientation. I think it will be fun, but it's the best term that I have. Uh, for, this, for this first session, I want to just kind of get our bearings. So uh, I have their unit one, getting our bearings. Actually, the whole first eight weeks is orientation. And there's going to be lots of teaching, lots of preaching, lots of Holy Ghost, because Brian's here too, so he'll support me in that. Um, But this first unit, I'm calling it Unit 1, Getting Our Bearings. That's all we're trying to do tonight is get our bearings. A lot of people have questions. Uh, I have some questions. I don't know if I'll be able to answer them all over the next several weeks or tonight, but this just gets things in motion for where we're coming from, okay? And I'm even going to describe for you even something of what we're doing over the next several weeks Again, so we can get our bearings, all right? So let's pray. Father God in heaven, we gaze our eyes now at you on the throne in your awesome glory and majesty with Jesus at your right hand. And we pause to worship you and to say that we love you and we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for this new era that you are releasing grace among your people. We thank you, Lord, for the kingdom of God by the blood of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you've given us in abundance and superabundance so that we might be like Jesus, deep in our hearts, in our lifestyle, in our relationships, and as your people. Lord, we pray that you will do whatever you wish in us and through us. We do not ask you to bless just what we're doing, but we ask you to give us grace to partner with you in what you're doing. And to the degree that we're doing that, bless the works of our hands. Not for our sake to build a name for ourselves, but for your sake, for your glory. That you might have the house that you've always dreamed of. That you might fill it and express yourself through it. And that we might be caught up in it, Lord, as that house, as the expression, the, the physical animation of Christ on the earth. It's for this we pray. Not just for ourselves, but for the saints in this city. And for all those, Lord, that are connected to Christ by the Holy Ghost, we pray may that church of Ephesians 2 and 4 uh, take emergence in the world today for your glory as a testimony to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Number one in your notes. For those of you who've had me in school, here you go again. And for those of you that haven't, this is me at school. I have notes, and I have numbers one, etc., So there you have it. Number one, what's the purpose of all these teaching units? Letter A, to be a blessing to the people of God. This is for whoever is interested. This is definitely orientation for those who who feel led of the Lord and called to join what we're doing. Uh, But it's it's for anybody who wants to. It doesn't matter to us if you're going to technically join what we're doing. I don't know if we're going to be technical anyway. You know what I'm saying? It's one of our values and, and part of our vision to be a blessing to the city. So this is for who, whoever wants to. Uh, by the way, thank you all for RSVPing. Just not all of you this, but we fit you all in anyway. The only reason why we wanted RSVP is to make sure we had enough room. We do, so thank you. 
It wasn't the in club and the out club. It just was for logistical purposes. Because I'm such a logistical administrative genius, I'm always on things like that. Always three steps ahead administratively. That's me. Okay. And of course, letter B, we want to cast vision for the king's people. And I'm going to get to my notes here. I got your notes. I'm going to pull those up. Sorry, just give me one second. There we go. There's seats up front if anyone's just coming in. This awkward pause as I'm pulling up a file I didn't have. I mean, this all worked out. It just was a problem. Our main purpose for all these weeks is to cast vision for what we're calling the King's people. And so, I'm sorry, you didn't have to come up. Sorry, guys. Lord, love I'm going to move from the macro to the micro, and I'm going to use my pens here. For these, and for the folks that are going to help me do this, um, these sessions are going to move from the, from the macro to the micro, okay? Some of you probably have questions like, well, what are you doing? What's going to look like, specifically, practically? Well, we'll get to that down here later. I don't want to start there. I want to start up here in the macro vision of what we feel God's doing in terms of his kingdom and how the kingdom creates a people and kind of lay out, if you would, the grammar of the specific things we're going to say. We want to have something to hang our hats on in terms of, can I say theology? Can I say value system? That then, then we'll get down to this. Okay, We're going to start up here and we're going to move slowly for about eight weeks uh, in that direction. So, um, like we're going to start here just getting our bearings, right? Uh, now, uh, this is kind of shaky, and I'm not having a good time writing on it, but we'll get our prophetic and scriptural bearings. This is the way we'll start, in the, in just in kind of the bigger picture, and move on down. You got this in your notes? Oh, the list there? Okay, I'm sorry. Well, then, just go by my, my artwork here. <laughs> That's like a funnel. We're going to funnel down to the practical, or you could perhaps envision that as a tornado. And that will be a powerful image for you all to enjoy. <laughs> then as we move down, you know, we're going to get our bearings today in the Bible uh, and in prophecy and the way that God has led us and spoke to us. And then we're going to talk about the kingdom. And we're not going to exhaust the su subject of the kingdom over these eight weeks. We probably won't over the next eight decades. You know, Jesus was a master teaching the kingdom and we're still trying to grasp it. And he took three years to unfold it. But we're at least going to find some places on the map of the kingdom to stick some pins as to where we're beginning. And so I'm going to do my best to give general definition of what the kingdom is and then point out some of our key kingdom values. And I'm going to give you something that I call my ascension message just so that you see where I'm coming from uh, to start getting us prepared for the way I see uh, government and leadership in the church. It's not as the world does. It's something entirely different. And so I, I, I get us ready for that idea from talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed, but um, there's not a lot of teaching or preaching on the ascension. It's kind of a, it's the more obscure works of the Lord after teaching, dying on the cross, and rising from the dead. Those are the things we really grab hold of, and they are really you know, more readily available to our understanding. But then you have this ascension. Well, to me, the ascension has everything to do with the kingdom and the church. 
that's where the message is uh, for the church in terms of embodying the kingdom. So I'm just going to do my best to take you through carefully what in the world I'm talking about there. And then we're going to get down as we get kind of the middle of this thing, getting more specific to what the body of Christ is. Again, I'm not boasting of all the wonderful things I'm going to talk about. We're, we have one-hour sessions. But I'm going to do my best to hit these things appropriately for where we're at, just getting started. And in, in terms of the body of Christ, we're going to talk about what God has called His people to be in terms of first and foremost being family. That's my understanding of what the Scriptures teach. There's a lot of different dimensions to the, to the body of Christ. There's the church militant. She's an army. Right? There's the, 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 the simple gathering. Physically being gathered is, is one of the dimensions of being the church. Uh, but to me, all of that is subsumed under family because that's the way God designed family. God himself is family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Even the family in the garden was a militant, it's an outpost of God's kingdom to guard against the serpent. So unless, if we're not first the family, we'll never enter into the mission, uh, missionary reality military reality, prophetic, anything we're doing, it has to be rooted in family because that's when, when Jesus teaches us to baptize people. We're baptized into the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's family. That's not just what you say when you dunk something, right? So we've got to talk about the body's family, fellowship. We're going to talk about love and honor and functions in the body and different gifts. And then as we get down closer to the, the thinner part of this, right about maybe here, maybe, maybe there, Leadership, uh, what, is, what is leadership? We're going to poke at this a little bit, the biblical model, if there is such a thing. If there's not, we won't talk about that. We're going to talk about spheres of ministry. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 10. Um, I, I feel like the Lord is contending with a lot of traditional understanding. I'm not talking about our group, I'm talking about all of us in the West. And um, leadership is one of the areas I think that's the hardest to grasp without having a definite political, technical structure. But there is a biblical revelation of what leadership is about. And um, one of the ways to define it is to define spheres of ministry. It's language that Paul used. In fact, um, yeah, the word is um, metron, like from metric system. Or he uses the word canon, like a, not a canon you blow, but like the canon of scripture, you know. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and, and God's government, fivefold ministry, authority of the saints, and local leadership, elders, deacons, what are those things? Man, I hope I know what I'm talking about when I get to that. Uh, then we're going to talk about house churches as we get real down into the grit of, of what we're going to be on the ground. Um, we're going to recognize house churches. I'm, I'm going to use that language. I'm just going to go ahead and use it. That's my choice. To do that, I feel like, like it's most effective. That's why these were, is all, what we do, whenever we do something like this, I'm always going to view this, in, in my mind, you can see it differently if you want to, but this is specifically for training in school, and this is something I'd like to see happening throughout all of the history of what we do, with other people, you guys, people from the outside, helping to bless and encourage and equip the saints for the work of ministry. And it's the school element that will feed the actual life of the house churches. So that's why we didn't start with like a band and all that typical service approach because I didn't want it, us to make the mistake that this is like our first service. It's not. It's just training. When we actually get life going on the road, I want to get into the family units. And I didn't see how we could do that by just signing people up. 
felt like we had to get downloaded some DNA over some time and, and get on the same page and get our bearings and then start to live this out uh, in, the, in the home units. So then we'll talk more specifically as house churches, as family units, whether it's literally founded in a family or not. Uh, we'll talk about larger gatherings and what they should be and what they would look like and why. Um, our, our burden and our values for children and youth Celebrating the Lord's Supper is very important to me. I don't view it as a sacrament. Neither am I nitpicky, at least in my mind, but I think it expresses something that's important, and we want to recover that. So we'll talk about the Lord's Supper, and we'll talk about prophecy. The, the, the exercise of the gifts in house churches is important for the life of the community, including strong teaching, as we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, but also prophecy, uh, revelatory gifts, as well as you know, strong foundational teaching. All that belongs there. And then different forms of ministry that will be launched from these house churches as the spirit you guys wish. Guess what? I'm not going to dictate what you guys are supposed to be doing. The spirit will be doing that in our house units. We're going to give guidance and DNA and atmosphere and do our best to let the king have his way. That's why we're calling it the king's people, one of the reasons. Uh, letter C, another point for all these sessions, is to enable interested people like yourselves. How many people are here and are not interested in what we're doing? Please let me see a show of hands. One, two. That was scary. We want you to make an informed decision on that human level. If you feel maybe God's calling you to join what we're doing, maybe you don't. Well, I feel like this is a service to you to help you make that decision. We would not be the least offended if you decide not to come. We, don't, we do not have an agenda. Uh, we really do want to fulfill the calling God put on us and create an environment with the Lord's assistance. Really, hopefully, He's the one doing it with our assistance. No services. No one about us at all. <laughs> um, you're cool. I'm okay. Yeah, hey, brother. <laughs> Um, and, and if you choose not to join what we're doing, you're more than welcome to come to whatever classes we ever hold. Because again, that's part of our vision. You know, Sarah said in one of our, our meetings, and I need to introduce our team in a moment, but um, in one of our meetings she felt strongly that the Lord would connect people with us who are not meant to join us, like fully immersed in the way we're doing things, to stay in their churches or ministries. And um, we're, we're glad to be a service to people like that. So no, never feel pressure. Like I said, we don't have an agenda. Um, we want to be a blessing to the city. You know, God's got a lot of good people in the city. We're, we're not inventing the wheel. Even the house church movement that I don't fully embrace as it's often defined by their own writers. A lot of it I do. Some of it I don't. But we're, we're joining something that's already fully in motion in a lot of ways. And even in a more traditional setting, there's a lot of awesome things God's doing in people and through people. We just want to join forces with what God's already doing in the sphere of ministry that God is now giving us and releasing in this time period. So you're, you're free to come and go. Uh, if you're called to be part of us, then I think you'll be blessed because that will be a, a fulfillment of a connection. But what we're really after is harvest and transformation in our city. There's enough people in darkness to have enough churches go. We don't have to try to build, build through migration. Let's swing the sickle. So anyway, before I forget, forgive me guys, I'd like to have the folks that have already been joining with us. We've been going on for um, a few months while I was finishing my dissertation. 
we've been meeting with a, a, a house group already just to start to get to know one another, create a core, um, start getting people at least in one pod, in, in, in rhythm with our culture. And you know, we've done it to a degree. It takes time to do these things, but these are some of the best folks. They all felt called to join us. There's only one couple I went after. Everybody else specifically felt led, and then once we maxed out numbers, I just had to stop it. So some of you asked to join us, and I thought, look, we're maxed out in space. That's all, and that's the only reason. We're going to stick to that. Um, so can I have those guys just stand up? And some of them are in the back. And here we got, these are the good ones they felt led to join us, the good ones. Uh, Tom and Kathy, and we have uh, the Lamicas right there. Most of you guys probably know the Lamicas. There's the Masons, David and Chloe. Oh, by the way, there's Joshua and Lindsay. There's Sarah standing right there, Sarah Lloyd. There's the Daniels, Jonathan and Summer. You've got Catherine and Jacob going to get married in a few weeks. Two weeks. And now there's the Dows, Anna and Mike. Some of you may not know them. Of course, they've been coming to fire for a while. But they moved here. We didn't have a previous relationship. They moved here from Plant City, Florida. And so some of you um, may not be familiar with them at all, so you can get to know, get to know them better out in the hall, uh, at least in this session. I mean, not while I speak. That would make me feel bad. And then there's the Harrys, Michael and Rochelle, and they have Rayel there. And she's already clapping. She heard her name. And, of course, my wife, Gina. Am I missing someone that's not here? If, if I were, shame on me for not knowing. But when you're on the spot, that happens. All right, so thanks, guys. God bless you. All right, I just wrote a general statement. It's convoluted. It's not the way one should write, but it is, um, it's still, I thought it would be good to give you at least one statement in these notes of where I'm coming from. It's a thick paragraph. It's annoyingly complex. There's one sentence that's like a mile long, but I just, I just went for it anyway. And by the way, this, all this is is like one way of encapsulating what I have on the website. You guys can check out the website, heavenrules.org. Click on the church vision and it outlines, it unpacks this a lot better. A general statement of, of, of who we are and what we're doing, the way I see it. The King's people is a kingdom-based, relationally-oriented movement of churches centered on Jesus Christ. They are, this is descriptive, by faith, we're not doing it yet except for one group. This is spoken by faith. Okay, They're developing life in the Spirit together while following the Lord into our city to harvest souls, make disciples, train leaders, plant churches, and transform society by, part two of complex sentence, proclaiming the gospel, demonstrating the Spirit, doing good works, and infiltrating minds and structures with the kingdom of God. I see that, as, by the way, if I, if I may pause here, I see that as representative of what the scripture teaches about the church. All I'm doing is, I'm trying to do is repeat what the scripture says and put it into something like a funnel here so that we can make statements that can become some of our language in our minds and our mouths and our lifestyle. We then, uh, excuse me, we recognize the five ministries of Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 as the Lord's gifts to the church to equip the saints for spiritual work. That's an important statement that's become so familiar to us that we don't feel the impact of it. The five gifts are to equip the saints. The saints do the work. It's not that the five gifts don't do the work. They are then saints when it comes to the work of the church, the work of ministry. You follow what I'm saying? The five ministries equip saints. 
And then all of us are saints, and we do the work of ministry. It's not leader-driven or leader-dictated, it's leader-equipped, and then people, they fulfill the, the mission in their spheres, whatever they may be, in the home, in the city, you know, on jobs, at schools, whatever, if they're in public service, if they're in businesses, if they're in neighborhoods. Right there is where the strength of the Lord comes from to do the work, and then, of course, ministering to one another in the family contexts. It's up. It's, it's us now. It's, again, it's the king's people. There's a lot of meaning to that. I feel like the Lord gave us that name. It's the king's people. It's, it's the people of the emphasis. If we're not talking about the king, it's about the people. I feel like that's exactly what the scriptures teach. I feel like that's exactly what God's calling for in our day and giving grace to see happen. That the people are just going to rise in the strength of the Lord. Yeah. Amen. That's a good place. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. And then we seek to create an environment, just naturally by the Spirit, an environment of love, of empowerment, and accountability, in and from which the saints can do that aforementioned work as they are led by the Spirit. What I'm proposing is actually a risky model. It is not set up in a way that will avoid risks that oftentimes churches establish themselves in ways to avoid these risks. And they do a pretty good job of it. But I think the real way that we're called to do it, there's inherent risks. And so we just have to live with those, just like a normal family has to. Just like most of the New Testament was written because of some of these risks coming to pass. And then apostles and, and some of their colleagues had to write to counteract what was happening in the church. We just can't control life. It's got to it's gotta happen and be managed by God's wisdom through his gifted people. That's what we're after. So, And some of you are like, well, okay, but still, why are you saying that? Well, we're going to see by and by. I'm just doing my best to go layer upon layer systematically as I can. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 16 as we look to number three in your notes for the, our biblical mandate. I feel, excuse me, I don't feel, I personally have heard the Lord speak and have been called to, to do now what I'm starting to do. This is just me speaking for myself. Uh, I think the folks on our team can say the same things, but they have to speak uh, for themselves in terms of their encounter with God or how God spoke to them. What I'm saying is, I feel quite safe in the Lord by starting something. You don't start something without a raw call from God. And I have that. But I'm not going to talk about that first. I don't want to talk about the prophetic... Um, reason why we're starting this first. I'll do that second. I want to talk first from the scriptures, of course. Because that's where we're rooted and grounded. And the scriptures call for something like what we're doing, and we'll get better as we go. So Matthew 16, 13. Uh, that's where we'll begin, verse 13. And the reason why I have us in Matthew 16 is because this is the first and one of the only couple of times Jesus even mentions the word church in all of the Gospels. It happens here and then in chapter 18, and that's it. The word does not occur in the Gospels. Uh, it occurs a lot in Acts, because that's when it actually happens. But Jesus introduces the concept here. 
So it's important that we go to this genesis, if you would, of Jesus' terminology about the church. And some of you guys had your first class with me on this issue, so you're hearing a little repeat. Forgive me. Perhaps repetition is good. Perhaps repetition is good. 1613. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is an important question. There is a sense in which Jesus is concerned what other people are saying. We know that he is not entrapped by the opinions of people. That's not his concern. He doesn't suffer with the fear of man. He's not concerned about people's opinions for his own well-being and for the fulfillment of his ministry. But there still is a reason for him to be concerned about what people think and what they say about his identity. Alright? Now I'm going to fast forward already because I don't have the same time today that I had with my students the other day. A revelation of the church is based on a revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we picked this passage because Jesus introduces church in a minute. But he won't even say the word, he won't confess the word church, until his friends confess the word Christ. You see what I'm saying? You don't plant a church by trying to plant a church, picking a model and just trying to do it. You don't get church by trying to get church. You get church based on a revelation of Jesus. The church will not rise above its revelation of its king. Period. I don't care how much revelation they have about where to meet. Amen. About what's organic. About whether, we should, whether it's healthy to meet in homes. All of which I agree with and put supreme importance to. But my heart is not there. My heart is with Jesus. The second commandment rests upon the first. Come on now. So Jesus wants to know, before he utters the word church, he says, I want to hear what, what you're uttering. First, what are they uttering? What are they saying about me? He uses the cryptic third person, son of man. We know who he's talking about because they pick it right up. It's his favorite terminology for himself, son of man. Who are they saying the son of man is? Somewhat mysterious from the Old Testament. Now I'm using it for myself. There's always that element of mystery. Because catching what God has to say is not just a matter of processing it in our minds. It's catching it in our hearts by the Spirit. Then we use our minds to put language to that. So this is my point. Jesus right now is going after church. There's only one way to go after church. To go after a revelation of the Christ. That's very, very important. That's why, again, we want to, our name reflects this, the King's people. The Lord, uh, our vision of church is not our vision of church. We want to be about Jesus. Jesus is King. Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus is alive. There's only one man who's the head of the human race, and it's not even Adam, it's Jesus. He had the DNA of a whole new species in his blood. And we're that species now. We're well, truly human. That's why it says son of these called of son of man. It's like this is what humanity is meant to be. This is what I've always meant it to be. So yeah. you need a revelation of me. It's about me, says he, not about you. You find your identity when you find my identity. That's what he's saying. So we can't sit here and squeeze our minds to try to figure out what church is. 
for shame. That's why we have so many problems. We need a revelation of Jesus Christ and to walk together in relationship with Him. Then you'll have church coming. There's a lot to do when that happens, but you'll have the core and your foundation right there. A little word foundation, that's important. Paul says there's only one foundation in this church, and it's Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 3. Well, this is what I'm talking about. So our real concern in all of these meetings and in everything we do is Jesus. It's not ourselves and it's not doing the right way of church. I'm happy to talk about those things. I teach classes on those things. I can debate about those things. Those matters are important. They're not unimportant. They are important. But they're not primary. And from the most formal churches to the most informal churches, I've seen the same violations not always, but here and there, along the spectrum, that they get their eyes off the greatness and the will of Jesus Christ and onto themselves and how do we grow, how do we do better, we don't do it that way, we do it this way, let's argue about it, let's get... And, and those are worthy conversations, but all in the right spirit. All because our primary concern is Jesus Christ and His, his awesome greatness and His will for us. Yeah, that's a good word. So it's really our highest values, Jesus himself. And that's not in contrast to other churches in the way they do. All I'm doing, I'm just saying. It, you know, other people may do it, that, that part fine, all their eyes are on Jesus. I'm not judging anybody. Anything I say, you may say, well, what's different from somebody else? I'm not trying to be different, I'm just trying to do what God put on my heart. So don't take what I'm saying in contrast to someone else unless I explicitly say it. Or, or to, to um, uh, the other way of doing church. You, you heard what I just said. I'm not concerned so much with uh, being identified by contradistinction. We're not like that. We're not like that. Well, there's things as a prophetic person I've seen that are wrong that I may have to prophesy and point out. But the spirit of starting a church is not, we're not going to be like that. The spirit of starting a church is the greatness of Jesus Christ. And that he's got a kingdom that he wants to expand in our city. So let's get in partnership with him. So Jesus, when preparing his disciples for the word and concept of church, in Greek there's a certain word, in Aramaic there was another word. He didn't say the word church. He said the word ekklesia or kalit or something like this, whatever it was in Aramaic. Before getting to that, he's like, well, I want to hear what you cats are saying. Now listen to verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns it to them because here's his foundational lament. But who do you say that I am? Now verse 14 is, is inaccurate, but not bad company. Right? Verse 14 is high praise. Some say John the baptizer. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And that's high praise. They've been without prophetic power in 400 plus years. Probably more than that. To align him with Elijah, the recognizing, dead raising, miracle working. This is like, you know, history repeating itself. The prophets are back. Well, that's high praise, that's my point. They're on to something. But the praise wasn't high enough. This is the one unique individual. This is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah. So he says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there it is. Someone finally said it. By the way, the word Christ, the promised Messiah, right? The Jews expected the royal son to be born someday 
and to lead the nation and armies of Israel back to the place of blessedness and prosperity under God's supernatural favor, having defeated their enemies. This is a hugely loaded word that Jesus was not embracing the way they saw the, the term in, in his first phase of ministry. This is a huge statement. You are that one. You are the leader to take us through, to mow Rome down, and to establish David's golden era again. You are that man. They had a right word that didn't quite penetrate what it meant. And then adding the royal terminology, the son of the living God. For us, we know that Jesus is fully and absolutely divine. And those words certainly mean that. But in Peter's understanding at that point, I don't know. It was typical Old Testament uh, of terminology to refer to the king as the son of God. Which, the reason why I'm saying that is because it sheds light on the nature of this kingdom. It creates family. It doesn't create servants or slaves. It makes sons. Jesus was not a created son. He was uncreated. The rest of us, to be in family means to be under God's kingdom. To be in kingdom means to be in family. So Simon Peter makes this con uh, confession, and Jesus immediately blesses him, recognizing that God has rubbed oil on him to show him this. Holy Spirit, well, somehow there's some kind of anointing operating a blessing from God. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, identifying his family backgrounds. That's Aramaic for Simon, son of Jonah. So he's about to change families. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See the terminology of Father, my Father, son, your son, Jonah's son, Simon. But my Father blessed you with revelation. So I also say to you that you're Peter. Name change, transformation, you're a new man and a new family. The word Peter means rock. You know the word Petros. Uh, I also say to you that you are Peter, that's Petros, and upon this rock, that's Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. Now he says, you confess Christ, I confess church. This is what I'm after. I'm after my church. My people will demonstrate me on the earth. And, and the only way that church can be founded is people like you with the revelation of me. Yeah. That's very important. Church does not come from a revelation of church. Amen. Church comes out of a revelation of Christ. Yeah. And that will keep us really safe if we're just seeking Jesus and Father in Heaven. That will keep us in line. That will keep the wisdom flowing as to what we're supposed to do. Right? So God, Jesus changes his name. He says, you're now Peter. You're a rock. A man with a revelation. I'm not talking about a little enlightenment in the mind. I mean a revelation that's so deep, you'll live for it, and you'll die for it. Right? Because we won't read all this. Peter's about to say, oh no. Right? Jesus is about to inform them and go to the cross. Peter says, don't go to the cross. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because that's the plan of God. You're not thinking godly. You're thinking manly. Your idea of Christ is not my idea of Christ. You have carnal thoughts, and your carnal understanding of who I am is letting Satan right into the pulpit. And then he says, you guys got to pick up your cross and follow me too. You need a revelation of who I am. Yeah. And the majesty of, of being Christ and the Son of the Divine is found in the humility of laying my life down to give life to others. I will be treated as opposite to Christ as you can possibly imagine. And if you don't have a revelation of me, you're not going to be willing to follow me down that avenue. Does that make sense? 
That's a revelation. Revelation is not a little enlightenment. A revelation is being gripped on the inside in a progressive way. We grow in revelation. But being gripped with it on the inside as to who Jesus is so that we, our life will correspond to it. Jesus said, now that's what I built my church in. Sometimes we Protestants don't like to associate Peter with the actual rock because it sounds too papal, too Roman. Well, that is, to, talk, to say that's extreme would be an understatement. Peter's not the first pope. But then we go the other way and say, well, the rock is just the revelation. No, the rock is the man Peter. But he's only one small part of the big rock, which is a people with the revelation. It's not just the revelation of the Christ, it's the people who are gripped by the revelation become good building material. Not enlightenment and not a pope. People with the revelation of the Christ, will bash open the gates of Hades. That's what Jesus is saying. Peter is Petros, and then he plays on words, and upon that Petra, people like you. And we can talk about the apostles' role, it's very important. But a real apostle doesn't want to be the one who wants to empower people to be rocks like him. Or them. So that's the rock on which I built my church. So here we're getting our bearings, you see. I'm not about, first, a church model. I'm first about Jesus. And my love for the church has always been rooted in my love for Jesus Christ. He's the man. So like, well, we could have gone anywhere and heard this preacher, brother. Well, amen. Well, we're getting somewhere. This is only the beginning. But you see the bearings? These are our bearings. This is where we get, so we're starting macro. Well, I'm not going to start down here. Now, what I, what I suggest we do with the kids in our houses, we're going to integrate them. Well, amen. Of course. It's going to be family. Right? Why? This is why. And the primary macro issue is Jesus. Let's see if there's anything. Yeah, let's just finish his statement. Okay, in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See what I'm saying? Church does not, does not come from trying to put a church together. Church is created when you bring the kingdom. Don't worry about church if you want church. Don't worry about anything, actually. Just be happy. We shouldn't worry. Don't be concerned with church if you want church. Be concerned with kingdom. Yes. And church will become flesh. Amen. I'm convinced that this is what Jesus is saying. You have a revelation of the King, Messiah, Son of God, you have kingdom. Now we talk church. That's a very important formula, if you would. You like that, Mark? Yeah. So I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That's, that's amazing authority. You will be heaven's authority on the earth. You turn to... If, if you... If, 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 if you're in the spirit, if you're apostolic, and that, what I mean by that is just what I've been saying. This passage. What you bind up that's running amok will be bound, because that's the will of God. That's the kind of synchronization that these kind of rocks have with heaven. And if it's tied up, if there's, if there's not that healing release for the sick, 
there's not that conviction penetrating the homosexual community, then get to work with your kingdom authority and start loosing what's bound up. And to bind up what's already loose and running. So the people can be set free. It's more than just going through prayer formulas and binding this and binding that verbally. It's the whole ball of wax that's seized by the greatness of Christ and lives a rock, steady, hard life out of that revelation. You get a people like that to transform the world. And Jesus goes on with telling them about his death, which was resisted, and then called them to discipleship. So the cross is part of the issue here. But we don't have time to get into all that. I've hinted at it enough for now. Let her be in your notes. Yeah, that's right. We're on 3B. That's 25 minutes left. That's okay. Ephesians chapter 3, you can turn there. This is Paul discussing his stewardship of the mystery of the gospel. We'll pick this up in verse 7, maybe. Paul was made a minister of the gospel, the beginning of verse 7, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. <clears throat> to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of the Christ. There's again, that, that's what Paul is all about. Of course, his mission was to the Gentiles. He's spreading the gospel from Jerusalem. He's out there missionizing. And then verse 9, okay, I preach the unfathomable riches. Christ is great. He's for any nation. He is salvation. He's your king. Come into his kingdom. Blessed forever. Eternal life. Spirit now. All of these riches. Untold. Unfathomable. And, not only that, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. What is the administration? We're talking about managing and working out this mystery. It doesn't happen by default. Typical churchianity. The mysteries of God have to be administrated by people who are in the Spirit. It has to be managed. Faithful stewards manage mysteries. That's like a, that's like a tongue... Okay, so the God's preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ. To bring to light this administration, Paul is stewarding <coughs> mysteries by what he preaches, by the way he lives, and by the churches he starts. He's stewarding mysteries. He's managing, administrating, working it out. The mystery which has been hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This is the importance of administrating the mystery of Paul. Because the church is not an institution or a club, and it's not a religion. It is the physical outworking of the otherwise mysterious wisdom of God. This is what it looks like. You can't just explain it in a class. Seminary, uh, King's People, School of Wisdom, it has to be demonstrated in people, and when it is, it affects the cosmos. The rule is in the authorities in heavenly places. This is our biblical mandate. It's important, having said what I did about Matthew 16, 
Okay, you guys trust me about that. Now I can use this language safely. It's important to do church right. This has been my burden since when I was saved in 1983. This has always made me wonder and always made me think and always made me pray. Sometimes in language that was too immature to understand what I myself was thinking and then finally coming to a place where at least I knew what I was thinking and able to say it. And, and it was this. Where is such a church? Well, as far as what we're doing, I hope we can contribute to that. But what I'm going to do is, after all these years of wondering that and praying about it and wrestling with it and suffering over it, I'm at least, with whatever whoever God wants to join with us, I want to just give it my best shot. I don't want to brag about it, what our values are. Anybody can get up and talk about it. Once we get going, my whole attitude is let's give this thing our best shot. If someone ever said to me, you think you could do this? You think you could do it? It's like, well, you know what? I know how hard it is in, in other models. I, I've heard from good friends of mine who've done something like what I want to do, how hard it is in their model. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'd rather fail trying than not try at all. Now that sounds a little negative, but I know we're not going to fail. I'm just being really humble. <laughs> no, that really is my answer. But I'd rather... It's like the, the wiffle ball game you guys heard me talk about. You know, my, my friends and... My, my, my pastor friend and I were playing wiffle ball with our two interns years ago. You'd have been proud, man. The, the wind was blowing in such a way that this big, giant wiffle ball. After a little while, I figured out... I mean, I got zero game at anything. But I figured out a way to throw that ball with the wind. I, that thing would twist four feet out of the strike. It'd go like this and come right back and hit that square it's supposed to hit. All those little interns trying to hit that ball was awesome. But really, then there was this one game that we had to win, and uh, they were up 12 to 2. And I got up to bat. I just, my, my second to last inning, I got up to bat. And I had to strike out. And then my friend Robbie, my pastor friend, he gets up to bat and he strikes out. He, he, and no, he doesn't strike out. He, he, he whips this, just his first swing. And it was terrible. We're all tight and everything. And I got this revelation I had an epiphany. I thought, man, we're not trying to hit that ball. We're trying not to miss. Because we're all concerned about we're down 12 runs, 10 runs. And these little, you know, kind of punky kids are mocking us. And they're our interns and all this. And we're the old men in our late 20s. So I said, time out. Because, you know, it's wiffle ball. It's just two on two. So where you hit it, you get men on base. There's ghost runners. Some of you are probably like, man, I wasted my Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so um, I said to Robbie, dude, we're not trying to hit the ball. We're trying not to miss. And there's a subtle but important difference. And then I said, you know, we're down 12-2. We're probably not going to win anyway. Anyway, you might as well just go hog wide. Just swing as hard as you can. Be loose at anything that comes down remotely close to the strike zone. We won 14-12. Come on. <laughs> we were hitting anything. I mean, we hit everything landed in. We became... all of the, just, just put it all down. Don't, don't try not to miss. You can't avoid risk. You'll never do anything. Yeah. Try to hit the ball. 
You know, I don't mean we should be that random just try to hit the ball, but I mean it's, it's, it's better than the other extreme. And plus, we won the game! 14 to 12, it still goes down in infamy. What my, the, the guy that interned at our church now is a missionary, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say it if this is being recorded, because he actually is good friends with some of our missionaries all these years later in this certain restricted country. And I could Facebook him sometime, and I just might Facebook him a little reminder of that football game. The, the point is, we, we play a lot looser when we're trying not to lose. When we're just confidently trying to win and hit the ball, you know, you just, you just do a lot better. And so, I'm just trying to give this my best shot. That's all I'm doing. And I, I secretly know it's going to be awesome, but I just say, let's give it a shot. You only live once. You only live once. So you can't just live cautiously your whole life. Amen. It's good word there. Good illustration. Amen. <laughs> so our prophetic mandate that I won't expound, uh, I won't expound deeply on because I want to get to Psalm 27. We'll run through some things there and close. But our prophetic mandate, and even before you look at the notes, you know, like I said, I've had this germinating in me personally. This is just my personal story. Um, in terms of whatever I'm contributing. This is much bigger than one leader, so that's one of the mysteries of the way these things operate. But I've been praying about this, I know God spoke to me, really put this on my heart in October of 90, uh, October 96, before I came to Brownsville. So I'm very concerned about the church's identity. Who is the church? What is the church? It's always, I've always known it from when I was first saved, but this has been my great passion for years. It started to crystallize in 96. And then on February 26, 2010, God spoke to me and said, you're released from the main things you do in fire. Go start this work. So off we went. So it was all that, the, the seeds growing, and then matching that call when I heard the voice of God. I, by the way, I was just getting done working out at the YMCA. I wasn't on my knees in the middle of a long fast. So I think there was a message in there also that the Lord wants this thing incarnate in the daily life, not just in the churchy atmosphere, but the whole point of being people emphatic rather than location or emphatic. Does that make sense? Building programs, all of which can be useful. But we want to emphasize the people. And then, um, yeah, so that was that. And then that's been confirmed. I had, I had people speaking this over me for some months, a couple people before I heard it, and because my own dysfunctional thinking in those areas did not hear what they were saying. So a couple of folks took me aside. One guy actually wrote a letter. One guy took me aside and said, you need to do this. You need to do this. I'm like, I will test that, brother. And my heart was leaping, and I, felt, I even felt the spirit on it. And I'm thinking, well, okay, well, this is an odd equation, but I can't see this actually happening. Well, then when the Lord spoke, it's like, well, now I see it happening. So there were some prophetic inclinations too. Before um, God spoke to me on February 26th, two weeks before that, God spoke to my wife. So she was hearing before me uh, that maybe an indication that God likes her better than me. I'm not sure, but if it were true, I don't know if your theology allows for that. My theology does, because um, if I were God, I'd like Gina better too. But that's no, that's no diss on me. I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> We're all awesome. We're all tied for first. Gina's just slightly ahead. Oh. So 
So God spoke to her a couple weeks before me. And uh, that's the more recent history. And the Brothers of Fire affirmed and confirmed it. Confirmed it. They, they give me a paid sabbatical, you guys. They're helping support us. Um, we get some support from Fire for a certain amount of time to help start a church plant. Um, you know, giving me stuff. I don't know. You know, just play, I don't know what else they gave me. But um, yeah, they've been a huge blessing. So it's been affirmed and confirmed. And, and that's the prophetic end of it. Also, God spoke to me out of Isaiah 40. God's doing a new thing. The Jesus people message. I don't have time to get into that. You already are getting an idea of where I'm coming from. But it's a very important point to make before we move on. That I'm, I'm claiming with prophetic authority a now word. That God is doing a new thing now. I believe it really started that where something shifted in 2007. That's where God began to release grace for a new thing where I believe we were bound up in a kind of wilderness for 40 years in the West where our, our concept of church, even though there were other people who were revolutionary, it was the minority, but the general concept of church was kind of the, the mega church expression, you know, the, the centrally located, you know, the building program and power, all of these things that can be useful, I have no problem with a lot of people meeting, but it's, it's the face of Christianity to the world that was defined by that, that was, that was restricted. And I don't mean that as a complaint or as a criticism, it's a fact. And that was a part of a wilderness for 40 years. And statistically speaking, that was the landscape of Christianity for those 40 years, from about 67 to 07, was the megachurch model. That is not where God's heart is. God is doing a new thing. And really, it's an ancient thing. But it's being done fresh in a generation. And the next line of Isaiah, out of Isaiah 40, verse, I think I'm starting in 18, you can find it. After he says, I'm doing a new thing, he says, will you not perceive it? Maybe I can get the Jesus people message another time. You understand where I'm coming from better then. But the point is, God's doing a new thing. He's pouring out new wine. He needs a new wineskin. If we have an old wineskin and new wine, the fermenting of the wine will burst the old wineskin that's already been stretched to capacity. A new wineskin will flex. Now that's a good word right there. It will flex with the wine. That way Jesus says both are preserved. Not the new and the old. The new wine and the new wineskin are preserved. That's the both. God's doing a new thing. And then I referenced Zephaniah 3. We don't have time to look at it. It's not really my intention. But during a prayer meeting years ago in Concord, God gave us a word out of Zephaniah 3. Promises of restoration, healing, and joy and revival to the city of Charlotte. So I just thought I'd mention it. Number five, I want to catalog now to, to close, to take a few minutes here, and just catalog some key defining values of where we're coming from. I'm just going to highlight some of our key values, and I'm going to base that out of Psalm 27. I, I found a text that embodies some of these things and represents some of these things, and so I'd like for you to turn there if you could. Psalm 27. And, you know, there's room to write. It's just for your convenience to have these notes. It's totally up to you, of course. Uh, one thing about our school, we don't give tests on paper. I think the tests will come in real life. But um, this is just for your convenience. If you, you, know, you want to write on it, I try to give you some space. The backs are blank if you're writing so much. 
You need a whole other piece of paper. You've got the length back the pages. Psalm 27. I'm just going to read this paragraph by paragraph. First few verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. So one thing I want to point out here out of this three verses, a few things actually, regarding this light from the Lord. Like I've already preached out of Matthew 16, our key value is the supremacy of God. He's not only Lord for all creation, being God and all, but He'll reign supreme in our hearts. Our, our fascination with Him, our love for Him, our obedience to Him, our incense of prayer burning before Him, our constant you know, burnt offerings of worship and thanksgiving, this is our greatest value. It's a, it's a Godwardness. I'd rather have people in an old school model who are completely absorbed in pursuing God and have people in a down-home, informal model who are absorbed with themselves. And I'm not saying that's always the case. I'm just trying to give you broad-stroke illustrations to make my point. Our key value is, to be, is to, to be making confessions about the goodness and the greatness and the activity and the testimonies and the life-changing power of our God. The Lord is my light and He's my salvation. Right, this is not just my theology. This is my experience. This is my walk with the Lord. Yeah. I, I have the Holy Spirit flowing inside of me. I have testimonies to give. God speaks to me. When, I, when I'm at a crossroads, when there's a dilemma, and there's darkness, the Lord is my light. When I'm afraid of evildoers, whether they be circumstances, finances, people who hate us, when they're, they're threatening us, the Lord is my light and my salvation. There's a testimony where our lives are bound up with the Lord's. That's our greatest value. Even more than valuing one another, though you can never get one without the other. When we look to the Lord first, we release ourselves to love each other unconditionally. We've got to start with Him. God's supremacy, even in the context of hostility, which is these verses, so often the case in Psalms with David, there's some kind of harassment and resistance that force us in discipline back to the Lord. And so David testifies, I have found Yahweh yet again in the midst of hostility. And they've come close with their fangs, you know, with the, just, I had a grosser picture, and I don't want to use those words, okay, I won't say the word saliva, just coming from their fangs. And I found that the Lord just causes them to disintegrate at the last second sometimes. He is my light and he's my deliverance. Also, light speaks of vision. And I want to talk to you very briefly about this. Without a vision, the people perish. And one of the points of this session and the rest are to create a vision that we're reaching for. There's an ideal abstractly, and there's some things concretely, practically, we're going to do. The Lord enlightens us to give us vision to go for together. And the vision will unify us. Amen. This vision will be led by the Holy Spirit. He will use often the five ministries of Ephesians 4 and the prophecies of, of the saints, which is including all of us. But listen to what I'm telling you here. 
I'm going to give you as clear a vision as I believe the Lord is giving you. And there's some times that I think I can answer some very practical questions. But there might be times I can't, at least at this point. And I think that's okay. Plus, it's part of the way I run, so you just should probably know that. But there's something else I want to say. Part of our vision is that we don't know everything that we're trying to embrace and go for. Our vision is not our light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I mean, I couldn't have predicted this a a year ago, or whatever it was, something like a year ago. But I still had a vision for life. I could have written it out a thousand times my values. I've done it a thousand times. Not a thousand. Probably a thousand words. That's what it is. And several times. I I find, oh, I found it. There was another one in my life. I wrote out my vision and life mission statement. And that, that helps. We have to have an idea of where we're going, especially as we're mature. But ultimately, our vision can't be our light. The Lord is our light. I mean, how much did Jesus disclose to his disciples after one, two, three years? He, he teaches in Matthew 13, the kingdom is a mystery. There's going to be an element of mystery to this. I, I'm, I'm inviting you to join something of an adventure, find a, like a, a new, fresh lease on life and following Jesus, not just having everything mapped out for you, even in church life. Let's follow Jesus. He's, he's not a tame lion. But he's good. Amen, Mark? <laughs> and all of y'all, Mark gave me that from Narnia once. He went to Narnia, he said. He came back with his word. We're not following a lion that wants to be tamed. There's going to be an element to mi- to, of mystery. Our eyes can't just be, we can't be lost in our vision. I guarantee you, if you're the visionary type that likes to lay things out, God will use you. That's a strength. But if you go too far, he'll blow your vision away. Just to make sure that your your light is not your vision, but your light is your Lord. When Jesus is walking out, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. He's got the vision charted out. He's administrating everything with perfect knowledge. We don't. We follow him. The mind of man plans his way, but Yahweh directs his steps. So let me lay out for you as much of a vision as I think that is legal to give. But let's keep our eyes on the Lord as the real visionary. Amen. Elements of mystery. Remember in Mark 10, they're, they're following Jesus from a distance, and it says they were amazed and afraid. There's just that element of mystery in following Jesus. And on one other thing, I just I just heard in my, my inner ear as I was preparing this, something I said to somebody else earlier in the week, which was a fresh word, I never quite heard it this way. When the Lord told Jacob, remember when they were wrestling through the night? The Lord said, let me go. Sometimes we've made a virtue out of wrestling with God. But Jacob wound up lame after that. The key word was, let me go. If you box me in, I'll let you box me in for a season. After a while, I'll break you. Let me go. Just let me go. And I just encourage all of us, all of us, Let's let him go. Well, I, I can't contain God. Well, we know that the highest heavens can. We know theologically you can, but sometimes he lets us box him in. And instead of just breaking free, he's very gracious and meek in his way with us, and he just says, just let me go. Just let me go. Even some of you just need, like a pastoral word of encouragement. A lot of things have happened that create a lot of difficulty in your life, and it's tightened you up. 
and, and yes, you're right about the difficulties, but let me just encourage you, don't get tightened up. Let the Lord go. As you enter into rest, you release Him to do His thing. So just let Him go. Okay. All that from the Lord is my life. Verses 4 and uh, four through 6. One thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Yahweh and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He'll conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent, He'll hide me, He'll lift me up upon a rock. And now, my head is lifted up above my enemies around me, and I offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Okay, regarding this one thing. This, God is calling us, whoever us is, to be a movement of prayer in these house churches. There's a new bent in prayer and a new level of communion with God into which He is inviting us. So we're really going to honor the house of prayer. That's going to be one of our great values. That does not necessarily mean we're going to have dedicated space where it's always happening. If God provides us that and leads us to do it, amen. But the house of prayer is the physical bodies and the physical body of the saints. That's the house. And our fundamental business through all of life is prayer. House, remember, David says, one thing I've asked. There's your prayer movement. He's always asking. And that I shall seek. So there's more of your prayer movement. There's a constant search for God in the Davidic heart. And that has to be our DNA. But he says what he wants is to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Now, among other things, one of the things that house means in the context of Israel in the Old Testament is family and community. It doesn't mean the physical church building. It doesn't even first mean in David's language, necessarily, the temple. Because there was the phrase house of Israel. It was a recognition that house of Israel. Israel was not just a nation. Israel was a man. He's the father. It's Jacob's house. It's Israel's house. So the the house of prayer that David articulates in these verses, I want to be in your house, it's I want to be praying with your people. There's a delight in that. I have a friend that whenever he wants to meet or he meets with some people, there's always this comment like, hey, we just got together and we, we had some prayer and then we... And we, had, we got together and we had some prayer. And then we, yeah, I just felt like we should get together and have a season of prayer. Because everything is just, well, there was always praying. This is a very active man. But everything is like predicated on prayer. With the people of God. That's got to be part of our being. I'm going to try to run through this quickly. I, I have to get to the end tonight. I'll, I'll try to go quickly. Do you guys have another five or six minutes to spare? I'm serious. I'll run quickly. Put you on the spot, really. Yeah, even if you don't mean it, you're going to say, yes. Yeah, there's an unspoken agreement. I ask for more time, but I really don't mean it. And so you just say yes to accommodate that. No, I'll just really try to be clear. These are fundamental values of ours. Prayer in community. Uh, this house calls us to relationships for which we live, for which we, uh, in which we fight for one another and with one another in the... Um, in the, in the battles of life. And then David expresses in those verses, breakthrough. Now I'm lifted up above my enemies. See, in the, the previous verses, there's hostilities. And then in these prayer house verses, there's more hostility. But he says, but you lifted me up on a rock, and now my head can see all above my enemies. There's that breakthrough, and there's that victory that comes when we pray together as family 
burning as a house of prayer. We need that to open doors of ministry. We need even a fresh revelation of the power of prayer. Because even those that are less inclined to pray and more inclined to do, they need supernatural doors open. Paul was always asking for prayer. And he was a hard worker. So please pray. I'm here. I need an effective door of ministry open. Or it's already open. But pray that there will be. In Colossians it says, pray that there will be an effective door of ministry open for me. It's in that prayer house that we open all these avenues of the Spirit. We can't do it any other way. So, okay. Letter C. And that's verses 7 through 10. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Seek my face. My heart said to you, Your face, Yahweh, I shall speak. I shall see. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Don't abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But Yahweh will take me up. About this, this business, he's, he, he, he confesses his trust in God and then says, Please don't forsake me. And someone might say, well, that's not a legitimate New Testament prayer because we know the Lord will never forsake us. Well, actually, amen. He never will forsake us. So you don't have to pray that way in order to make God not forsake you. But why then does David pray this? Well, it was an Old Testament prayer. I forgot to use my board today. Why does David pray? Well, it's just an Old Testament prayer. No, it's not an Old Testament prayer. Sometimes in the emotional turmoil of life, you have to express your emotions, even if you're not expressing perfect theology. Lord, please don't let me go. Well, you know in your hearts he'll never let in your heart of hearts he'll never let you go. But sometimes it just helps to go ahead and say what you're feeling. God's not this big giant piece of crystal that if you say something that might be slightly off, that he'll just break in his relationship with you. He wants us to pour our hearts out before him. It's even an inspired song. Though the theology may not be meant to teach us, God might leave you if you don't ask him. No, that's not what David's reflecting. David's reflecting transparency and honesty, knowing he's deeply belonging to God as family and to God's people. Anyway, regarding that section more, regarding faith and fellowship, again, he's, he expresses the house of prayer. But, but this time, the house of prayer focuses on the face, which is the expression of God's presence. Again, belonging to our value of the supremacy of God, we really will value God's presence. We already have His presence. We're going to cultivate relationship together so we have it felt more and more. That, that's what needs to seek His face. We have to have your presence. And sometimes all you have is the knowledge that you have it. We're going to go for that manifestation that we read about in both Testaments in the New Testament by the activity of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, David, like we already said, he prays that the, that the Lord would never let him go. Don't forsake me. That's a longing in the, in, the, in the context of fellowship with God and with one another to have true identity and restoration by God's presence so that the family of God becomes a stronghold of safety for us along with God's presence. And this is one of those areas where we can be proactive as a work or as a church where we, we, we are breaking through not only as a movement of prayer, but as a, as a safe model haven for people who are being rescued from sin. They get plugged into actual family. David's uh, 
David's outcry was that my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. We have to model the Lord taking people up. So it's not just movement of prayer. It's not just presence. It's family that brings people in to identity, restoration, and belonging. These are our values. And finally, this teaching and waiting, I'll look at quickly, verses 11 and following. Teach me your way, Yahweh, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not hand me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for Yahweh. Regarding this passage, our values, if I could highlight a few, teaching and waiting, we are going to value teaching as discipleship. Formats like this, mentoring, whatever God gives us, we are. I'm going to use my board. This is awesome. I forgot it. I forgot it. I erased it. I left myself space. I see this this cry. Teach me, O Lord. That's going to be our cry, and we're going to teach one another, and we're going to do our best to resource the five ministries so that we're constantly getting taught, like a river running down the middle of our work. But that river is feeding the actual life of the house churches. The classroom, or whatever format it is, today it's a classroom. That's just classroom. And even Jesus gathered disciples and sometimes just taught them. In the house, in a big crowd, Paul actually rented a school in Ephesus. Did you know that? Actually, it was after he was persecuted. They forced him into a private location. He rented a school hall. Um, they, they, he taught disciples for two to three years. And because of that, the word of the Lord filled Asia. So I want there to be some form of a school of wisdom, training saints in every imaginable aspect of kingdom life that God enables us to teach. And I, I mean us. I'm not talking about me. I have very, in some ways I have some very narrow topics that I offer. But I want this thing to just be constantly flowing like a river. And on the banks are all these teepees that are getting resourced by this river. Of discipleship. These are house churches, and not just house churches. There might be other kinds of groups that form that for certain launched ministries that come out of the house church, the family units will always remain. But, you know, there might come other groups of people. Not everything's going to be led by church leadership. It's like the, the saints are going to be launching ministries, everything from, you know, your neighborhood to ideas God gives you, uh, the good works of feeding the poor, or prophetic ministry on the street, or I'm an intercessor. I, you know, I'm more, you know, so you have a prayer group. There's going to be lots of groups that are going to form uh, that are offshoots of the house churches that will always exist. This is what I see in my mind. The whole thing is fed by this river. The river is what provides that, that flow of life. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my foes. Because there's going to be constant uh, resistance to what God is doing. But the teaching will keep us on the right path. The teaching. I mean the Lord's teaching to us. However he resources us. So I got into a little bit of, just a tiny bit of a practical pattern. Do you see what I'm looking at? Because this, this is where you go. You got to, if you put in a teepee, it's got to be by the river. You get your water there. You can wash up there. You can irrigate your gardens because of that river. 
So as much as the Lord gives us strength to do, I want to get people, other churches, from within, from without, to just help download from the five aspects of ministry in Ephesians 4. And we want to learn the ways of the Lord, the wisdom of God. One of our taglines or sayings or whatever it is, is that we're discovering the way of powerful living in Jesus Christ. This idea of waiting means that there's a future hope. We're going to be an eschatological church. We're going to put a lot on hope that Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. It's not all now. There's an awesome future that puts a holy pressure on us. We are in love with the appearance of Jesus Christ. Amen. But in the meantime, be strong, let your heart take courage and wait. That doesn't just mean hang on. That means work kingdom work to the max before he comes. But don't take your eyes off his coming. Don't be so now oriented that you forget the bulk of the New Testament message is calling for him to come back. But don't be so um, coming back oriented that you become escapist. That's neither is apostolic. The apostolic keeps both in perfect balance. The eyes of the first century church were always on their king about to split the skies. And their hands and their feet were working the, the vigor with which they work, it's as if it was up to them to bring the kingdom. But we know it's not. It's up to him. But we're steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Until we meet again in two weeks. In the meantime, you can check out our website. You can pray. Oh, wait. I gave you some declarations. These are just things that you can say in prayer on your own or not at all. It's just a tool. Based on what we talked about, so that we can start developing a language. I lost my computer screen. Just let's close by saying these together. Can we do that? You can do whatever you want with these. They're just a provision for you. You can make your own. You can change these. You can trash it. You can think it's silly. I don't like confessing things. Don't do that. But I just want to start feeding into the language. We start saying something. Saying, even if it's in your private devotions only. Let's just stand and say these things. And, and we'll make this our closing prayer. Do you have them? You have A through F, right? You ready? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, Lord of all, and the King of this age and the age to come. I am born again, powerful citizen of his kingdom. He calls and enables me to live for his kingdom purposes, not my own. The church is God's family and Christ's body, an awesome living organism of which I am a vital member. I will function joyfully as the member I'm called to be and help others to fulfill their roles also. Together we will bring Christ to our city. I will pray at all times in the spirit with joy and confidence. God loves the city of Charlotte and so do I. I pray for its spiritual revival and awakening. I pray for God's kingdom to invade it in power, for his people to rise within it, for his promises to be fulfilled toward it, for its citizens to turn to righteousness, for its officials to embrace God's ways, and for it to become a city reflecting God's light to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, if there's anyone who wants prayer, our team's going to stay back in this room and just pray for you. It's just general or specific. And also, please take advantage of all this food. The Browns, some of our new friends, had a wedding yesterday. 
Um, they're right there. They can wave at you if you want. But they brought us... Um, the king's people provided some of this food, but they brought a bunch of their wedding food. And so they gave us the superabundance of the Lord. I take it as a sign from him. So please take advantage of that. Hang out as long as you're able and enjoy the food. But you have to get your kids right away so that we can clean up and give relief to our workers. Thank you very much. Please get your kids. Uh, we got a, uh,